0: if you have been lied into that kind of a situation it doesn't take an awful lot for you to run out of it well hi everybody i'm bill little here with my friends and colleagues steve green and scott ott and uh, we've noticed that some of our youtube comments are getting a little saltier than usual so we decided to do a show without too much controversy so guys let's talk about ukraine yeah uh, yeah the the war that seemed like was going to turn into just an endless grind has changed this dynamic quite significantly uh, since since last week. Uh, There has been a Ukrainian counteroffensive, and the success of the counteroffensive is exceeding, I think, anybody's wildest expectations, including the Ukrainians. It appears that most of the Russian army is being routed, uh now, of course, a situation like this is changing every day, but in any event, the Ukrainians took back in two days all the territory that took Russia six months to take. And, and, and so the question is, what happens now? Uh the Ukrainian leadership, Zelensky generals, and everybody, are faced with a bit of a dilemma. It's a military dilemma, and and here are the here are the two choices. You have to you have to pick one. When you've got your enemy moving from a a, a disciplined organized retreat into um into headlong flight and then into a rout. If you keep the pressure up, you can reach a level of demoralization of the enemy where they simply surrender. The, 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 if, if, if they're running and you keep going after them and you don't give them a chance to emotionally group, let alone physically regroup, there will come a time when the people will simply surrender en masse, and that's obviously something that would be in uh, Ukraine's favor. Now, the other problem is that if you keep pursuing people further and further and further as they run away, your own supply lines start to get stretched. They're open to interdiction on a counterattack. And so that's essentially, I think, the problem that the Ukrainians are looking at right now. Steve, let's start with you. Um, there is a, a discussion. But let's start about this. How, how far do you think and how hard do you think the Ukrainians should push the Russians? Do you have a Do you have a metric? Assuming that this that this counteroffensive could just keep rolling, and that's a big assumption. But oh, yeah. assuming that there is no stand, there's no stand made, and you're and you're trying to make that decision. Where do you Where do you blow the whistle and tell them, okay, stop there?
1: Um, except for maybe some raids into Belgorod, which is uh, just north of uh, Kharkiv on the on the northern border with Russia, uh, I would say stick. To Ukraine's own borders. Uh, we've never had a non-nuclear power invade a nuclear power before, and I think there's a very good reason for that. Um, you don't want to put the uh, uh, the fear of regime change into a regime that has as many nuclear weapons as Russia does. That's just, uh, that's just fact. Uh, that said, th- this turnaround's been amazing. You know, in the first uh, few weeks of the war, it seemed like anything could happen. That 20-mile-long convoy that got stuck outside of Kiev if the Ukrainians could have smashed that, I mean, really smashed it, not just forced them to retreat, they could have turned that into another highway of death. The war could have been over by the 1st of April. Uh, the fact that Ukraine uh, either couldn't or failed to capitalize on that, fully capitalize on that, really colored my perception of their ability to carry on an offensive. Um, they, they, they conducted a fighting retreat like nobody's business, um, just maybe the best in the world, but on the offensive, they had shown in, uh, in March they just couldn't quite put it together. And then it turned into this months-long slog where, again, everywhere Russia pushed, uh, in the Donbass, in the east, Ukraine would back up a little, Ukraine would back up a little. And to see them turn this around so quickly um, has so reset my expectations that I'm trying not to get giddy. You know, it's a serious war. Things can turn around in a heartbeat. So let's—let's—let's— let's, let's, Not let ourselves do that, and let's hope the leadership of Ukraine doesn't do that. Um, I'll get a little technical here. The reason why Russia is in such trouble is, back when they were still the Soviet Union in Afghanistan, uh, they had to come up with something called a Battalion Tactical Group, which was an organization with a lot of firepower, but not a whole lot of manpower. And the reason they did this was so they could have a whole lot of tanks and artillery that could get on the move quickly to smash the mujahideen and then come back to base well russia after the soviet union fell was uh, really in a demographic crisis and so they kept these btgs as their as their primary tactical their primary formations in the military the division structures basically disappeared um The problem is these BTGs, uh, as we used to say of our cavalry, or we probably do still say of our cavalry, all fist, no tail. They just don't have enough foot soldiers, enough infantrymen to protect those tanks. So the the tanks get out there and, you know, a Ukrainian guy pops up with a javelin, boom, tank gone. And so these BTGs have taken horrendous losses. And as a result, and what we couldn't see from from our point of view, you know, thousands of miles away sitting comfortably in our offices or on our sofas is that those BTGs had taken such manpower losses that the front had become incredibly brittle and it shattered in, in, in Kharkiv at the first serious punch that Ukraine could deliver. So we've got three sectors of the front kind of in a, in a semicircle got uh, Kharkiv in the North Donbass in the, in the East and, and Kursan in the South. Uh, Kharkiv is basically cleared of Russians, uh, 90 95 percent clear uh they're getting to the border the, yes the ukrainians are getting a very solid foothold in uh in the donbass and there are signs that i'm reading about today again this is all very fluid so if this still isn't true by the time this airs i i apologize mm-hmm. uh there are signs of uh, uh russian officers in the southern sector in Kherson wanting to negotiate their surrender rather than try and fight and there is evidence uh this isn't just talk there is evidence of Russian officials and occupation officials uh, clearing themselves and their families out of Kherson. So this is this is an amazing turnaround. That I just like to say one one last thing to our uh, our Putin fans, whether they're they're paid trolls or whatever. Um, Vladimir Putin has alienated Russia from the West. He has weakened Russia with this stupid. Pointless war, so much that he is not defending Western civilization from the globo homo people. No, he is turning Russia into China's bitch. That is a fact, and you're going to have to deal with that.
0: The, the remarkable thing about this entire war is that every other player on the board does not come out of this more afraid of Russia. They come out of it much less afraid of Russia. Yeah. Much less afraid of Russia. Uh Scott, you mentioned on our backstage show uh that, that Putin has another problem. He obviously has a manpower problem. And this is not something that he can just filled. Whatever available reserves of manpower he had have already been deployed and to to some degree either destroyed or is in retreat. And really, in order to get the numbers he would need to push back hard, he would have to basically call for conscription. He'd basically have to institute a draft. Now, the problem with that is if Putin were to do something like that, that would kind of destroy the whole initiative of this being a small special operation where where we're just winning, winning, winning. Do you think he has a way out of this? Because to be honest with you, Given the losses that they've taken in armor, aircraft, helicopters, uh, 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 men, I don't see how he does a second invasion, frankly.
2: Well, yeah. And the other part of that problem is it takes anywhere from two to six months even to deploy such troops. Um, You know, you can't just take a guy off the street, hand him a a rifle and send him out to the field. You've got to be able to prepare these people or else you're just sending them to slaughter, which there's no indication that Putin would have any Trouble with just sending them to slaughter. He's already done that with he a bunch has, of Russia's yeah. boys um, at this point. Yeah, so you know he's he's be between a rock and a hard place. And if I'm uh, I'm obviously not. I have no military experience. I am not a tactician or a strategist in military. But I can't help but thinking if I'm Volodymyr Zelensky and um, you know trying to lead this effort this is a two-minute drill and you don't let up in a two-minute drill you snap the ball and you snap the ball yeah. and you snap the ball and you keep it moving down the field and if you've got the uh, opponent in disarray and in flight the last thing you want to do is give him a chance to regroup now the only thing that could throw a wrench into all of this from a just kind of generic strategic point of view is if there is some sort of strategic retreat going on here in other words if if Putin is has a, a reserve lying in wait and is intentionally trying to draw Ukraine into uh, that kind of a conflict and then meet them with overwhelming force. There's no indication that that's happening. And so uh, this is this is not a, a typical. not just a David and Goliath story, though, because they, you know Ukraine has uh, secured a lot of weaponry and a lot of advice from the West, uh, specifically from the United States of America and the UK and elsewhere. And that I think, to, to Steve's point, is what has made this incident more effective than that that road opportunity they had back in April. Um, is that they're better equipped, they're better organized, they're better trained, and and, and they're. Better Better armed um, than they were before. You do run into the to the challenge of stretching out those supply lines, but you, I think you've got to be George Patton in this situation. You've got to keep moving as quickly as you can, keep moving, and uh, and keep those uh, keep the enemy in flight to your border. You're not trying to invade Russia. You want them out of your country. Get out, and we go home.
0: Yeah, you're right. It's a David Goliath story, except that somebody slipped David a nine millimeter Glock just before he walked out <laughs> in the middle of the field. Uh, so so look, there's there's a there's a bunch of things going on. There is there's reliable, credible reports even during the interregnum period, that Ukraine was striking targets that are actually in Russian territory. They were striking them with some of our high Mars rockets and and sabotage operations and so on. So making The Russian side of that line hurt is part of winning a war. I think that if he were to set one foot inside a Russian territory, he would be committing an enormous mistake because that would give Vladimir Putin the the chance to blow the one bugle that the Russian people respond to reflexively, automatically. It's in their DNA. Our country has been invaded by, we're always surrounded by enemies and now they are on Russian soil do not possibly give him the opportunity to do that. I think the end game for Ukraine, best possible end game in a situation like this is you not only get the Russian troops out of uh, Ukraine, you also get them out of Donbass because the entire purpose of this uh, invasion was to presumably take over Ukraine, but at the very least absorb Donbass. And, and if you don't, and the other region, if you don't if you don't Ukrainianize those two pieces of Ukrainian property, then any version of that is is a win for Putin. I think the final thing that bears mentioning is we are given a glimpse of what genuine political courage looks like. And it's not from uh, Zelensky in this particular case, it's from the Russians. Uh, six members of the Duma a few days ago uh, openly signed a, a letter saying that they wanted, they, they were calling for Putin to resign, that he was har- ir- had irreversibly harmed the country and it was time for him to step down. Those six people were arrested and since then another 18 members of the duma have signed uh, that document that is actual genuine political courage that's what that's what living in a country where you really can in fact we're not talking about rhetorical violence we're not saying oh he assaulted me with 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 something he said we're talking about being sent to a dungeon or up against a wall and, and whatever you think of the of the situation that is a sign of actual genuine courage and it's something else too it's a sign of 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 real democracy it's a sign of 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 the of the of the seeds of of the idea of a republic right if you've got a a dictator a totalitarian and your own parliament is now crossing the fear boundary into saying we're going to make this statement because it needs to be made and yes People have been arrested. Yes, we'll probably be arrested. And if people keep doing it, they'll be arrested too. But we're going to keep doing it. This is the difference between standing up to a line of tanks in Tiananmen Square and, and claiming that, you know, somebody has uh, created a noose in your garage because somebody put a little loop around string, you know, and and in order to pull the garage door down. This is the difference between between speech that has real consequences as opposed to the invented uh, and overly dramatized, uh, consequences that we invent for ourselves here in our comfortable Western lives. Uh, just to close, I would say that I'm not surprised by the speed of this Russian collapse, at least as it stands at the moment. Of all of the things that I've ever heard in all of, in all of military history, I have never heard the equivalent of what I heard Russian soldiers saying in the days after the invasion. Namely, they told us we were going to the Crimea on maneuvers. And the next thing you know, we're in Ukraine uh, fighting Ukrainians. I I, I don't think Xerxes ever lied to his soldiers about where they were going or what they were going to do. But if you have been lied into that kind of a situation, it doesn't take an awful lot for you to run out of it. And uh, and as as we say so often, you know, you, you reap what you sow, uh, Vladimir. We'll see, but something dramatic is happening, we thought we'd try to keep you up to date on that as much as possible. For Steve Green and Scott Out, I'm Bill Whittle. Thanks for joining us. The show's made member by the members of BillWhittle.com, and we're always grateful for their support.